just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Sunday. Kind of a lazy day comparatively to the rest of the week. Not as much happening during the weekends as there is on weekdays. That said, there's a few things we need to talk about and we will get to them soon enough. Had a great day yesterday. Had nothing to do with politics or news or anything like that. My wife and I, my youngest son, my oldest son, and my granddaughter met on a lake just west of the metro area here in the Twin Cities. They had this big event for kids where it was a kite day on the lake. Now, these weren't necessarily kites in the traditional sense. They were, it was kind of like, you know, how you used to watch the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade and they had these big balloons of underdog and shit like that. It was kind of like that, these these uh, kites that kind of look like balloons and were shaped like superheroes, animals, unicorns, all kinds of stuff. Um, they were smaller, and they were kites. They weren't necessarily balloons, but they were all over the lake. Uh, brought my granddaughter down there, and she was excited as hell. We walked around for a while. She pointed all the things out and explained to me what they are. Had a great time. I would rather do that than almost anything. Just seeing the wonderment in a in a grandchild's face when they see something the first time. That's that to me is probably the most exciting thing about having young kids or grandkids. When you can give them the opportunity to see something for the first time in their lives, never have seen it before. It's always fun to see their eyes open wide and just be amazed by what is out there. It's funny, afterwards, we went to uh, grab lunch someplace. Now, normally, we wouldn't go to a fast food place with this group uh, for lunch, but uh, my granddaughter was getting tired. We had to get in and get out very quickly. <laughs> and And as I'm watching my granddaughter... It really says a lot to me how she behaves because she's very much my grandchild. She's two and a half, going to be three years old in a couple of months. And she's uh, just such a smart ass. And she likes to mess with people, which, of course, is a trait that I must have given to her. Her mom and dad certainly haven't. But it was funny watching how she behaved. And the reason I think she's so smart is because she likes ketchup, okay? And she's got some fries. She's dipping the fries in, sucking the ketchup off, but not eating the fries. And dad is saying, look, man, you got to eat something. You got some chicken nuggets here and you got some fries. You got to eat those. And she says, okay. So she takes a nibble off each and then she starts sucking the fries, the ketchup off the fries. And then she takes it a step further, she picks up the container of the ketchup and is going to try to drink it. Well, of course, dad is going to say, don't do that. And uh, she says, okay, she sits it down and 
starts eating little bits and pieces again, but then goes back to the ketchup and is going to drink it. And Dad says, no, don't do that. <laughs> and and this goes on about three or four times till my son gets a little upset about it. Not I mean, not mad and screaming, just being done with it. So the last time she picks it up and is kind of smirking at me and smirking around the table and she's going to try to drink this ketchup. My son says, all right, that's it. You're done with the ketchup. I'm taking the ketchup away. You can't have it. And she's getting all upset. She's kind of crying because this was taken away from her. (laughs) And then she looks at my son. Remember, she's not yet three years old. And she says, okay, I won't do it again. (laughs) This girl knew exactly what the fuck she was doing. She pushed it as far as she could. And at that point, she realized she finally pushed it too far. So my son did the right thing. She learned a lesson, and she probably won't push him that far next time. It just just struck me strange, this little girl who's under three, now negotiating with her dad, knowing every bit of what she was doing, and she was just testing the situation. I love that about her. I know it frustrates her dad and mom and maybe her grandmother, but I fucking love it. I love seeing she's a little bit of a rebel, a little bit of an individual. All right. The other thing we've got going today, you know, maybe there's a lot of people that aren't listening to the podcast today because we've got uh, bigger news on this Sunday, and that, of course, is the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know how excited you are about the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, for me, it's kind of cool. It's an event, but I, I don't get bought into sports as much as I once did. And people say, "Why you used to love football and, and watch all the games and live and die by the Vikings and all that stuff. Why not now? And I said, well, you know, as you get older, there are more important things in life than sports. And sometimes you get frustrated with sports, especially if you're a fan here in Minnesota, because if you take a look at all our pro sports teams and even some of our college teams, you know, for 30 years, it's been nothing but mediocrity, no national championships, no world championships, nothing like that. In many cases, they don't even make a run. So it's hard to get excited about something, you know, if you don't see some results ultimately. Now, in this town, the only pro championships we've had, uh, certainly in my life, would be the Minnesota Twins. They won the World Series in 91 and 87. That was an amazing time, but nothing since then. There's only one other team that won championships while they were in Minnesota. That was the Minneapolis Lakers, the precursor to the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, when they played, I guess they were amazing and won championships. It was a different era. Uh, Sports wasn't as prominent back then as it is now. So anyway, if you're watching the uh, Super Bowl tonight, I hope you have a great time. Spend some time with friends and family. Get a lot of good shit to eat. And uh, hopefully the commercials stand up. Seems like every year they get a little weaker. There might be one or two that are really good, but most are just, you know, just okay. So now that we got those things out of the way, we can get down to the business at hand and talk about what's going on. We start out with an email. This one comes from Deborah from SoCal. 
She says, hi, Mike. First, I need to tell you that I love listening to you and watching you on TikTok. You make so much sense and you give hope. And I appreciate that. You know, I, I, if anything, I hope I give people some hope. And it's not that I'm trying to, you know, con you into believing you have hope when you don't. I just try to find hope in things that are happening that other people just don't seem to offer. I think it's important that we know all the facts when we hear these stories and not just the clickbait that's going to get you upset. So um, I, I appreciate that, that you think I make sense. Uh, there are some people in my family that would dispute that. Um, and the fact that you get some hope out of it, great, because that's, that's what I'm going for. Because the thing about it is, is there's always hope. No matter what you're in, there's always an angle. There's always an option. If you don't panic, you sit back, analyze what's going on, see what the facts are, and then deal with it from that standpoint. Now, Deborah goes on to say, I was thinking, in my opinion, the flying objects that we keep seeing and have now had one in Canada. She thinks there's no coincidence uh, with the orange turd nugget. Uh, having our top secrets and sharing them. He stole them, they found more, and they even found a laptop. Who's to say that that information that he gave away at who knows what price isn't the reason that all of this is happening? Thoughts, Deborah Sokal. Well, you might be onto something there. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, our security was severely weakened during Donald Trump's tenure. You know, he was buddies with Kim Jong-un, buddies with the crown prince from Saudi Arabia, buddies with Vladimir Putin. He trusted them more than he trusted our own intelligence agencies. Logic would tell you that uh, he was helping them out one way or another. Now, whether he was doing it intentionally or he was a willful idiot, it doesn't matter. It's still something that was quite dangerous. And, you know, Donald Trump, under his reign for those four years, we know that at least three Chinese balloons flew over this country. But um, the Trump organization, Trump administration, either didn't know about it or kept it quiet. We're not sure which, but I have a feeling we might find out. If you give Donald Trump a pat on the backside and maybe a little bit of money, he'll let you do anything. And I'm afraid we're going to find out that he allowed a lot of shit to happen just because he thought these guys were his buddies and he benefited from it. That's not a that's not a, a reach at all because that's Donald Trump's M.O., no question about it. Thank you, Deborah. And and Deborah brings up this situation in Canada, and we should talk about that. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said that Saturday, an unidentified object had been shut down, shot down, by a U.S. fighter jet over Canadian airspace on his orders. I didn't know Justin Trudeau could give orders to the U.S. Air Force, but apparently there's some agreement. I ordered the takedown of an unidentified object that violated Canadian airspace at NORAD Command, shot down the object over the Yukon. Canadian and U.S. aircraft were scrambled and a U.S. 
F-22 successfully fired at the object for Dude's Dead. And he put that out on Twitter. Now, I don't want you to confuse this. The day before, we talked about another object. They're not saying it was a balloon or that it was Chinese, but another object was shot down over Alaska near the Canadian border, and it, in some, and it fell in some area of water, which is ice now, of course. Uh, this is the second one, and we've heard that there are a lot of these balloons around, <clears throat> even maybe some more balloons headed toward U.S. airspace, like three or four more. And when she talks about, when Deborah talks about Donald Trump, if he had some responsibility for these things happening, you have to wonder. At the very least, <laughs> with all these balloons coming into American airspace, we maybe need to notify the Chinese, the Russians, the, the North Koreans, and the Saudi Arabians that since Donald Trump has left office, the circus has left town. We don't need any more fucking balloons. Now, this one in Canada, they say the object was cylindrical and smaller than the suspected Chinese balloon shot down last weekend. Uh, that comes from the Canadian defense minister. Later on Saturday, uh, the White House confirmed that Trudeau and the U.S. President Joe Biden authorized the shoot down, and the Pentagon said the object was first spotted over Alaska on Friday evening. Trudeau said that he spoke with Biden on Saturday and that the Canadian forces will lead the object recovery operation. The object shot down Saturday marks the third time in one week that U.S. aircraft have shot down an object in North American airspace. Saturday's incident follows the, da uh, the downing of another unidentified object on Friday over Alaska and the shoot-down uh, of a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon on February 4th by U.S. F-22 fighter. So at this point, they're not clear as to what was shot down. Or what was the purpose for this object? Um, but they are watching these things. Now, this object uh, that was shot down in Canada offers some of the same risks the previous object offered. Now, we know the Chinese balloon was flying at 65,000 feet. Not a risk when it comes to commercial airlines. Uh, the first object was at 40,000 feet. And this one was at 40,000 feet. And they had unlawfully entered Canadian airspace and posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. The object was shot down approximately 100 miles from the Canada-United States border over Canadian territory in central Yukon. So this is, uh, this is becoming an uh, interesting turn of events. I don't know that all of these are spy, what do I call, spy objects. But there's got to be a reason for them. They can't all be weather. It's going to be interesting to see what we find out about these uh, two objects. What they are, where they're from, and the reason for them heading toward U.S. airspace. It can't be that they're all 
all uh, just gotten off track. This seems like an intentional thing. And if it is an intentional thing, well, we've got to fucking deal with it. Shooting them down is one thing, but we need to somehow convince the people that are sending these things our way. Not a good idea. And uh, if they continue, we'll do more than just shoot them down. We will need them to stop or there should be some accountability for it. No doubt we'll hear about this again because we're hearing that there might have been as many as uh, balloons or objects flying over as many as 40 different countries. So there's some fucked up thing going here. It seems kind of low tech uh, for China or Russia. I mean, frankly, they have satellites that can do everything that a balloon can do and then some quite a bit more than these balloons. So you have to wonder what it is. Is it just China and Russia just trying to fuck with us? Wouldn't be surprising. And again, we go back to Donald Trump, and we know there were at least three balloons that flew over the country during his administration, but nothing was done. We weren't even told about it. And like Deb suggested, uh, and I tend to agree, Donald Trump clearly weakened our security in this country by either not doing anything or just buddying up with some of our adversarial countries and leaders in those countries to allow them to do certain things. I'm sure Donald Trump thought, well, what the fuck's the big deal about a balloon flying over? Sure, go ahead and do that. Now, I'd heard that these three previous balloons, um, some people say, well, we didn't even know about it. Well, That's pretty fucked up if you didn't know about it. Clearly, your intelligence agencies under Donald Trump were not doing the job. Or if Donald Trump said, yeah, I know they're there, just let them go, which is certainly in the realm of possibility when we're talking about Donald Trump. I think there's going to be more about this. We're going to have to investigate it clearly, and hopefully we'll get some answers to why who and what they actually accomplished by sending these balloons over. I mean, as much as we need to know about these top secret documents and now this laptop that Donald Trump has um, and that he turned in, we're going to talk about it in a bit. Um, That laptop that Trump's attorneys turned over to the FBI is interesting because it has classified documents on the laptop and on a thumb drive. And that is very problematic for Donald Trump and his future and possible indictments in the future. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Here's an interesting story. And, you know, whenever we're talking about Donald Trump spewing about election fraud and the hoax and how the election was stolen from him. When it comes to indicting somebody or taking them to court, a lot has to do with intent. Did they really know that they lost but still were fighting to create chaos and and, and maybe somehow confuse the situation enough to find a way to get back into the White House? Did Donald Trump know? 
or is he just stupid? I think there's an argument for both sides, frankly. (laughs) Anyway, this is an interesting story. A research firm investigated Donald Trump's assertion that the presidential election was fraudulent. Now, this is a research firm that Trump's people hired and paid to do this. Donald Trump's own search firm had its findings suppressed. They didn't release any information about it because they found nothing to support his claims. That was reported in the Washington Post, citing four sources familiar with the matter. Now, Berkeley Research Group, hired by the former president's 2020 campaign, gathered a team of around a dozen people to look into the alleged voter fraud and irregularities in six states. Donald Trump hired them and uh, commissioned them to find the fraud, to stop the steal. Well, the team reportedly briefed Trump, his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and others on a conference call held in the last days of 2020 before Trump held a rally urging his supporters to march on the Capitol preceding the January 6, 2021 insurrection. The call reportedly became contentious. I'm sure it did. Donald Trump was not happy about people not willing to lie for him. But the researchers had looked at everything one source said. Literally anything you could think of, voter turnout anomalies, date of birth anomalies, whether dead people voted, if there was anything under the sun that could be thought of, they looked at it. As recently as Saturday morning, Trump has claimed that the 2020 presidential election was still rigged or stolen from him, pushing various conspiracy theories about voting machines and election workers. He's made these claims even as dozens of lawsuits filed by Trump's campaign or his allies were tossed out for lack of evidence. But his own people, his own research team, told him no election fraud. But again, this is just right in line with the way Donald Trump does things. It's not about truth or what's right or what's just or what's fair. It's what he wants. And if he's not getting what he wants, he has to force the issue by lying, cheating, or stealing. So Trump continued to make his claims throughout the House Select Committee's uh, investigation, which revealed that people close to Trump repeatedly try to tell him there was no election fraud. He knew. He just didn't like the answer. So he thought he'd try to find a way to change it or at least make people believe his lie. And frankly, it didn't work out too well. So apparently he made them despite knowing that a team of professional researchers that he paid to try and find evidence of fraud came up empty-handed. The source for the Washington Post said, just like any election, there are always errors, omissions, and irregularities. But the uh, person stressed that they were not nearly enough to sway the election. It was nowhere close enough to what they wanted to prove, the source said. And it actually went in both directions. And what they mean by that is these minor problems that wouldn't really affect the election 
There may have been some Democrats that uh, caused some problems, but there was just as many, if not more, Republicans caught up in election fraud. But again, you can have election fraud, but if it's so small that it didn't affect the election, there's really no value in calling for redos or or just putting Donald Trump back in office because of all the election fraud. There wasn't enough to change anything. Donald Trump clearly knew this. He paid somebody to find the election fraud, and they couldn't find the fucking election fraud. So, when he goes to court, that bit of information is going to be a problem for him. He's not going to be able to say, well, I really believe that I won. No, you didn't, motherfucker, because you were told by your staff, by your administration, and even by a research team you commissioned, paid, and then got a report from. You just chose not to listen to that report. You expected either they'd come back with some little thing that you could expand on or exaggerate, or maybe they'd just lie for you. And unfortunately for Donald Trump, most people aren't willing to lie and put themselves and their credibility in trouble just for Donald Trump. I know Donald Trump has problems understanding that, but frankly, that's a fact. Let's talk about Matt Gates here. Now, Matt Gates, we're waiting to see if he gets indicted or whatever the fuck they're going to do. But Representative Matt Gates fucked up again, just like Republicans do. They continually fuck up. He kicked off his first meeting of the House Judiciary Committee last week by cordially inviting an accused murderer to lead the pres- pre- uh, Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> Fuck. Under its new Republican leadership, the 118th Congress Judiciary Committee may choose to start each hearing with the pledge. An amendment to the rules put forth by Matt Gates, who said it allowed members to invite inspirational constituents to lead it. And who does Matt Gates pick? Well, it went to a gentleman by the name of Corey Beekman, a retired National Guard member accused of killing a man in 2019 whose case has not yet gone to trial. Gates did not mention this aspect of his guest backstory. Beekman led the pledge in his military dress uniform on February 1st. He said, It's my pleasure and distinct honor to introduce to you the committee staff sergeant, Corey Ryan Beekman, an American hero and a constituent of mine residing in Pensacola, Florida. Gates said in the video, still available on C-SPAN, you can check it out if you'd like. He rolled through Beekman's life story. Born in Holland, Michigan, Gates said Beekman's enlisted in the the Michigan Army National Guard while still in high school before serving in Iraq and Afghanistan, finally moving to Florida to be closer to family. So apparently Beekman is also alleged to have shot and killed 32-year-old William Buchanan at a home in northern Michigan in April of 2019 between his military service and his move to Florida. 
So he kills a guy in Michigan, and then he moves to Florida. That doesn't sound suspicious, does it? I mean, we know what Florida is all about. Florida is like going to a different country these days, and uh, it's interesting. And why would Matt Gates pick that guy? Couldn't he have picked somebody else with military background in his district to come up and give the Pledge of Allegiance? You would think so. You would think he would have had some insight as to this guy waiting for trial for murder and think to himself, you know, this is probably not the right guy. But that's Matt Gates. That's fucking Florida. That is the trump Now, a 32-year-old woman, Caitlin Buck, was injured in the attack as well. Uh, however, Up North Live, which is a newspaper, noted that Buck's two children were left unharmed. Well, that's sweet. You shoot and kill the man. You injure the mom, but you leave the kids alone. Well, maybe he is a hero. The pandemic disrupted the initially scheduled date for Beekman's trial, and charges were subsequently dropped after Buck refused to testify against him, the Mason County Press reported. Beekman was released in September of 2020 from Mason County Jail, where he had been held since 2019. Now, the Buchanan family told multiple news outlets that they were horrified to hear about Gates honoring Beekman. It was like getting a dagger stuck in our heart again. But Gates' office has tried to make things right. The Buchanan said they received a U.S. flag that had flown over the Capitol from Gates' office alongside a signed letter from the congressman with his condolences and an apology, which the family appreciated. I, you know, it's a nice gesture, but Jesus Christ, does that really make up for bringing alleged murderer to do the Pledge of Allegiance in the House of Representatives? Come on, Matt, you can make better fucking choices than that. Gates told the outlet uh, that Beekman had reached out to his office for assistance and that no one in his office thought to conduct a thorough background check on a veteran in need. Mason County Sheriff Kim Cole felt it wasn't too much to expect a quick enter internet search. Yeah, all you have to really do is Google Beekman, and I have a feeling that it might have popped up that he was a murderer. There are certainly people much more deserving to represent our military veterans at the U.S. Capitol than Corey Beekman, a murderer. Cole told the Mason County Press, I'm disappointed in Representative Gates' office. A simple Google search would have shown that Mr. Beekman killed a man in rural Mason County. Now, the Daily Beast noted that the clips of Beekman leading the Pledge of Allegiance previously posted to YouTube and Twitter by government accounts has since been taken down. But apparently you can see it on C-SPAN still. This is the problem with Republicans. They're very reactionary and emotional. They're all about how's this going to look. And they're very sloppy. They're reckless and sloppy. They are constantly doing things that make them look stupid and are foolish and sometimes dangerous. We shouldn't be surprised by something like this. I mean, the Judiciary Committee 
I think it's headed up by um, Jim Jordan, is a fucking joke anyway. The last meeting they had, uh, people laughed at him. You know, they were investigating Twitter and how they infringed on the Republicans' First Amendment right, even though a private company can't infringe on anybody's First Amendment rights. If you own a company, you can do whatever the fuck you want. You can censor anything you want. Hell, I'm on TikTok. I, I can have a video taken down for no goddamn reason at all. I can bitch about it. I can uh, ask for an appeal. But if they want to take shit down, there's really nothing I can do about it. It has nothing to do with my First Amendment right. I know it, they know it, and anybody with above an eighth grade education should fucking know it. Unfortunately, Republicans, specifically Trump LaFucks, don't fucking get it. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right. Earlier, I was talking about Donald Trump and his continuing problem with classified documents in his possession. He first turned over like 17 boxes of top secret or classified documents that he literally stole from the White House and brought down to Mar-a-Lago. The National Archives then said, well, you still have more. Can you please give them to us? And, of course, Donald Trump, his lawyers, they all said, no, we don't have any more. They're all gone. Sorry, we don't know where they are. So then the FBI says, well, hey, can we come and search? And they say no. So they issue a subpoena, which Donald Trump proceeds to ignore for 90 days. They then go in with a search warrant. They find a bunch of classified documents, another 20 boxes for Christ's sake, and they take those out. And the presumption was that he may still have more documents. Well, just the other day, Donald Trump's legal team turned over some more documents that they found, maybe just stumbled across, (laughs) and they turned them over. But what's really interesting, among those things that they turned over include a laptop and a thumb drive. Apparently, some, if not all, of these classified documents were on this laptop. The laptop was used by an aide to Donald Trump, mainly because Donald Trump doesn't use computers. We can presume that he directed this aide to do whatever he did with these classified documents. Now, they're saying that this aide put these classified documents on the laptop and the thumb drive inadvertently. Whoops, I made a mistake. Now, I find that hard to believe. I mean, don't classified documents say across the top of it, classified documents? And shouldn't somebody who works in the government know what's the procedure for dealing with classified documents? So the fact that he did it inadvertently is absolute bullshit. 
But this poses a bigger problem for Donald Trump. Now, speaking with MSNBC host Katie Fang, attorney Danny Savalos called the new revelation a huge problem for the former president. Now, as the host pointed out, the electronic documents could easily be transferred to thumb drives, and there's no telling where they would end up after that. Savalos agreed and said the laptop could come into play as part of a special counsel Jack Smith's investigation, of more concern to Trump, who was in possession of the laptop. You know, it's ironic. We sit and worry about Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI had it. In 2019, we have yet to see anything coming from Hunter Biden's laptop other than some Hunter Biden dick pics. It'd be interesting to find out if they had those dick pics on Donald Trump's laptop. But it's ironic now that the real issue with the laptop is now one owned by Donald Trump. And this is far more important shit than dick pics that Hunter Biden may or may not have had on his laptop. You see, the problem here is it's one thing to have the documents. That's bad. But once you start copying the documents, disseminating the documents, or at least being uh, worried about these people disseminating documents, well, that's problematic. I mean, why would you put it on a laptop unless you wanted to disseminate it? When I say disseminate it, I mean give it to other people. You put it on the computer, you put a thumb drive in, you uh, drop and drag this shit over to the thumb drive. Now you got all the classified documents on the thumb drive. Then what do you do with the thumb drive? Presumably, you have it so you can put it in your pocket or, worse yet, give it to somebody else. Now, we don't know that that's what happened, but what other reason would you have for putting it on the laptop and then putting it on thumb drives? You see how that gets kind of messy? And it makes the problem even bigger for Donald Trump. Now, this wasn't a lawyer that had this laptop. This was a Trump aide and one that was working for the Save America PAC, which is Trump's favorite PAC at this point. Uh, So the fact that it's not someone, it's someone who's not a lawyer, do you think it changes analysis? This is what Katie Fain asked of this lawyer. And the lawyer said, of course, if you give it to your lawyer, that's one thing. It could still be problematic, but giving it to someone clearly outside the government, that's a huge problem because you've established one of the elements and not only one of the elements of criminal statute, but one of the reasons this is a problem in the first place. We don't want classified documents getting into the hands of regular people. That's why they're classified. They're classified because they could pose a threat to national security. Now, a lot of people want us to believe that, oh, Donald just took this because he's an egomaniac and thought it would be cool to have these fucking souvenirs. Well, I got to tell you, if anybody believes that, knowing Donald Trump, you're fooling yourself or you're fucking lying. Because Donald Trump is also 
a narcissist and uh, is known for using things for blackmail, coercion, or just selling things to make a buck. And if you think that Donald Trump stole 40 boxes of documents plus a laptop plus a thumb drive just for posterity's sake, well, that's fucking crazy. That's given Donald Trump way too much credit. Donald Trump is a criminal. He is corrupt. He is a treasonist. He doesn't give a shit about anybody or this country. He only cares about himself and his own enrichment. And the fact that these classified documents were copied onto a laptop and then onto a thumb drive that can easily be pulled out and handed off to somebody else, well, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked. And since Donald Trump has problems with answering questions, then the DOJ has to put the pressure on. Either you answer these questions or you go to fucking jail. This is too serious. This is too important to this country. This is about the security of this country. And if he's not held accountable for that, well, then we have to take a look at the Biden administration to Merrick Garland and everybody else who's giving him a pass on something that may be the most egregious crime anyone, especially a former president, can commit against this country. If you can't get in trouble for being a traitor or a treasonist, there's something wrong here. Our system is not working properly. Now, when Mark Pomerantz, he's a prosecutor, and Carrie Dunn, you remember those two, those are the two hired guns that quit the Manhattan District when Elvin Bragg took over for Cyrus Vance. And they did that um, because Bragg at the time said that uh, he was kind of pulling back from, from uh, um, prosecuting Donald Trump, which seems weird because the Trump organization was found guilty, seven counts of seven. Is it, I keep forgetting seven or 17. It doesn't matter. It's a fucking lot. It's a lot for business fraud that he was involved in. And then, of course, his CFO, Alan Weisselberg, was convicted as well. Um, but anyway, Mark, Mark Pomerantz comes out with a brand new book which touches on accusations of inexplicable hesitancy in Bragg's office. Now, on Thursday night's episode of The Readout on MSNBC, Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen, who says he's met with Bragg's team more than a dozen times, gave what he believes is some reason for optimism. Now, keep in mind, one of the things that um, the Manhattan District is looking into over and above the business fraud, the financial fraud, is, of course, the hush money sent to Stormy Daniels. We know that Michael Cohen was convicted of that crime, that Donald Trump was an unindicted co-conspirator, so presumably he would be guilty too if Michael, Co uh, Michael uh, Cohen was guilty. And Michael Cohen seems to be pretty positive or optimistic about what the Manhattan District is going to do because he's met with them dozens of times on that topic. 
Cohen defended Bragg against accusations that the DA is dragging his feet in prosecuting Trump over his business practices and his hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Now, Bragg took over the investigations January of 2022, about a year ago, when he became the DA. Cohen says he's simply being thorough and acting with appropriate caution, Cohen said. Cohen used a metaphor to make his point. Right now, the plane is taxiing, and we're getting really close to the runway, he said. At the end of the day, what's the goal, the destination that you're intending? The destination will be had. Now, Cohen, excuse me, Cohen was convicted in 2018 of being kind of the middleman with Daniel's payments, repeatedly stressed his belief that the probe is moving along, going so far as to say he's been impressed by the pace at which Bragg's team has been brought up to speed. Those words may bring a modicum of comfort to those of us who have been hoping to see Trump held accountable. So if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, worried about when these indictments are going to come, Michael Cohen, who is certainly not a Donald Trump fan anymore, uh, seems to have some confidence that something's coming and something's coming fairly soon with regards to Donald Trump's fraudulent business practices and the hush money he paid to Stormy Daniels. We'll keep our fingers crossed on that motherfucker. But Ellie Honig, he's a former federal prosecutor in New York, offered a counterpoint citing his new book. Of course, he's got a new book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. Honig said officials in Bragg's office reportedly made decisions not to pursue Trump probes because they feared political backlash, downplayed the seriousness of Trump's alleged crimes, or simply had prudential concerns with indicting a former president. There's clearly a lot of mystery surrounding Bragg and his intentions. Here's the deal. What Ellie Honig is saying is true, but there's something you have to consider. Under normal circumstances, if the general public didn't know the evidence or know what was happening, you could see how they could sweep this under the rug. But that's not the case. We all know what happened. We've seen the evidence. So now it's impossible for somebody like the Manhattan District DA or even Jack Smith or Merrick Garland to just say, oh, nothing happened here because we all know better. We've all seen it. So I would tend to side with Michael Cohen on this because they wouldn't be going to this full extent, meeting with Michael Cohen dozens of times unless there was something serious going on. Ellie Honig, who is actually very good and a good prosecutor, he's also promoting a book. So you got to take that uh, in regard. At the same time, Michael Cohen has a podcast, a couple of books too. So Everybody's in this for the money. They're going to take a side. They're going to support that side. All we can really do is wait and see what the fuck happens because uh, not enough has been happening to date. And I'll say this again. 
I'll predict this. If Donald Trump is not indicted, if many of his staff members are not indicted, if those members of Congress involved in the insurrection are not indicted, if nothing happens to any of these people, Joe Biden and his administration are going to take the hit. It is going to be a huge mistake from the Biden administration not to follow through regardless of whatever political ramifications they're concerned about. If they don't follow through and hold these people accountable, well, then the voters of this country will hold Joe Biden and the administration and everybody else accountable. Somebody's going to be accountable for these crimes. These are clearly crimes. And if the Biden administration can't hold the proper people accountable, well, then they will be accountable for their ineffectiveness and... uh, inability to prosecute these things. Because with all that we've seen of Donald Trump and the people around him, the evidence is in front of our face, thanks to the J6 committee and other uh, media outlets. It's in front of our face. You can't tell us that nothing happened. A lot happened. Things happen that call for accountability. And if you can't fucking do the job, then you shouldn't have the job. I'd hate to see this happen, not only because I want to see Donald Trump accountable, but I certainly don't want the Republicans to benefit from their ineptitude or incompetence when it comes to prosecuting these people in 2024. Hopefully, the people on the Democratic side, hopefully the people in the DOJ understand that As much as there might be some political ramifications, if you do indict them, I hope they're smart enough to understand that there's going to be even bigger political ramifications if they don't indict them. Well, Donald Trump's uh, having lots of problems these days. He doesn't have as much support as he once had. He... um, The Republicans aren't really feeling them at this point. And he's having all kinds of money problems. You know, of course, his grift isn't working as strongly as it once did. He isn't gaining as much money on a monthly basis as he once did. And this is all going to be problematic for Donald Trump's campaign. But in addition, apparently Donald Trump's very heavily mortgaged skyscraper at 40 Wall Street is on what they call a lender watch. And this is in the midst of plummeting income and increasing costs. This came from Bloomberg on Friday. The vacancy rate at the 72-story building, Trump's most valuable building, jumped to 18% in the third quarter of last year, according to a monthly filing on the building's remaining $126.5 million mortgage. Expenses, meanwhile, have reportedly risen 11% since the origin of the 2015 mortgage. Well, this is interesting. 18% vacancy and 11% increased costs. 
Well, that's not a moneymaker anymore, is it? Trump has often bragged about the building he acquired in 1995, which was appraised at $540 million in 2015. But, of course, we have to find out who appraised it. Was it an actual appraiser or was it Donald Trump himself just having a feeling that it was worth $540 million? Now, you'll remember this building specifically because it came up 20 what, 22 years ago, 21 years ago? The day of September 11, 2001, the terrorist attacks that destroyed the World Trade Center and killed 3,000 people, Trump, Trump was so upset and so compassionate that he said that, well, he bragged in a TV interview that 40 Wall Street was suddenly the tallest building in the city. Not only was his claim insensitive, It was a fucking lie. Another nearby skyscraper on Pine Street in Lower Manhattan became the tallest building, not his building. Oh, fucking Donald Trump. You would think that they could have come out with something about that statement prior to the election. And he wouldn't have got elected just based on that insensitivity. But not in this country anymore. Got too many Trumplefucks that listen to all the lies and refuse to hear the truth. Now, high-rise office leasing in Manhattan has been uh, dropping for, for years, actually, which has exasperated after the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, I've got to think that there's a big problem with commercial buildings all around the country. So many people are working from home now because they did it during the pandemic. And you got to wonder what some of these big companies are thinking that own these buildings or lease these buildings. Maybe we don't need these big buildings. And if, if they all start feeling that way or can't get people to come into work, that uh, causes the value of those buildings to go down. Wells Fargo, which is serving the mortgage on 40 Wall Street, has reached out to the borrower for a status of leasing developments and the plans to improve the property's performance, according to the filing. So basically what's happening, Wells Fargo, who has their own problems, is getting nervous. They have a $126 million mortgage on this thing. They're on the hook to a guy who's known to not pay his bills or his taxes. They're seeing this this building is no longer highly profitable. So they're nervous. So they're going to go to the uh, lender or to the uh, borrower that being Donald Trump, and saying, what the fuck here, man? What are you going to do to fix this? You're in trouble. We don't want to foreclose on a $500 million fucking building. How are you going to keep it running? Well, this is Donald Trump. I don't think he has a fucking clue. I don't think he has any idea how to do it. Not only is this is a bad time for commercial buildings, given the pandemic and all of that, but you're dealing with a dumb fuck who's known for failing in virtually everything he's ever fucking done. Why would you give this guy a mortgage? A mortgage that's worth $126 million. 
I have a feeling you're going to eat that money, Wells Fargo. And you know what? Based on my experiences with Wells Fargo, I hope you fucking do. And then you're going to have trouble selling it to recoup your money because nobody wants to work in an office building anymore. Not many people do. Not enough people do. The upside is that uh, if the building is truly appraised at $540 million and he defaults on a $126 million mortgage, well, then you get a pretty good bargain on the building. That is assuming you can sell it. Now, if Wells Fargo gets this building back and needs to sell it, I'll give you one tip. You know how you got to primp things up with your properties before you sell them so you can get more money for them? I don't know what the condition of the building is, but definitely take the name Trump off the front of the fucking building. That's going to help it sell quite a bit. If you leave Trump's name on it, uh, you're probably not going to sell this motherfucker. All right, let's head down. This is technically the Midwest. It's south of where I am in the Midwest. We're talking about Missouri. I happen to like Missouri. I've been down to Branson, been to Kansas City. I've uh, seen a lot of Missouri. It's a beautiful state. But this, this is a little fucked up. Missouri's Republican-controlled House of Representatives has voted against banning children from carrying guns in public without adult supervision. The proposal went down to defeat in a 104-39 to loss Wednesday. Only a single Republican voted in favor. So what's that mean? Does that mean I can take my three-year-old granddaughter head down to Kansas City, give her a Glock 9mm, put it in her hands, and let her walk down Main Street in fucking Kansas City? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you voted for? There is a current no-age minimum to openly carrying a gun in Missouri. Calls for change were triggered after a number of local holdups by armed teens. So they do already have a problem with this. Videos have captured groups of children openly carrying rifles, including military-style weapons, as they walk the streets. What they should have is a law that says if you have a kid who's legally carrying a gun openly wherever the fuck he wants, if he does something fucked up, (laughs) then the parents pay the price. The parents go to jail. The parents get sued. Democratic State Representative Don, uh, Donna Berenger, who sponsored the amendment to a public safety bill, said that police in her district ask for the change. Oh, those Republicans love those boys and women in blue, don't they? We have 14-year-olds walking down the middle of the street in the city of St. Louis carrying AR-15, she said, recalling what officers had told her. Now they, the children, have been emboldened and they are walking around with them, she added. Until they actually brandish them and brandish them with intent, our police officers are handcuffed. They can't do anything. I wonder if that's the case for black children, too. 
If a black child is walking down Main Street of St. Louis with an AR-15, will they just allow them to keep walking too? I'm guessing maybe not. Republican opponents blasted the proposal as an unnecessary infringement on gun rights. Let's see. You got to be 21 to drink. You got to be 16 to drive. You got to be 18 to vote. But any child of any age can carry a gun in Missouri. Is it just me or does that seem fucking ridiculous? Republican opponents blasted the proposal. They say it's an infringement. While it may be intuitive that a 14-year-old has no legitimate purpose, it doesn't actually mean that they're going to harm somebody. We don't know that yet. Well, why does a 14-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid have a gun walking around with it? Now, if this is happening... There's got to be two issues with the government, with the police force, if that's allowed. But there's also got to be a real fucking problem with parents. What parent in their right mind would allow any child of theirs to walk around with a gun? We don't charge people with crimes because we think they're going to hurt somebody. Really? Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Do you not charge people for speeding? Do you not charge people for drunk driving? And why do you charge them for that? Because they might get into an accident and hurt an innocent person. So that comment is bullshit. Since 2017, Missouri residents have not been required to take safety training to undergo a criminal background check or even have a gun permit to carry the concealed firearms in most public places. Republicans welcome the looser rules, but law enforcement does not like it. I thought you were all for the boys in blue. Can you not see with children, underage children, and even of-age people walking around willy-nilly with their AR-15s, that that might not be a problem. Say you got a kid who's 16, who's speeding, who has a Glock in his car. Cop comes over, maybe gives him a hard time thinking about giving him a ticket. This guy, this kid, may not be uh, emotionally sound, and instead of suffering the rage of his parents of him getting a speeding ticket and raising their insurance, maybe instead he just pulls the gun, shoots the cop, and hope to God that he doesn't get caught. Look, when you're underage, you do stupid shit. Trust me, when I was underage, I did lots of stupid shit. But never, ever would either of my parents allowed me to walk around with a gun. In fact, when I did hunt when I was young, I was made to go through every training you could possibly get. And if I mishandled the gun, I was never going to touch a gun again. Why is it there are parents now that are willing to let their kids just fucking have a gun? I mean, no training, no certification, no licensing. It's weird because if you're going to drive a car, you have to go through training, 
driver training. You've got to take a driver's test. You've got to take a written test. You've got to have insurance. You've got to be accountable for any fucked up thing you do while you're driving that car. But guns, it's a free-for-all. Do whatever you fucking want. Well, i got to tell you this. As much as I don't like going to Florida because of the things going on there, if I ever had plans to go to Missouri at this point, I would have to think twice about it. If you tell me that I can go anywhere in Missouri that any kid under 18 can have a gun, walk around with it openly, and I get to trust this child's emotional health to not shoot me, and I shouldn't be worried about it until such time that he commits a crime, and then we can worry about it? Well, that's, that's a risk I'm not willing to take. I'm not going to fucking Missouri just to see a bunch of 14-year-old dimwit motherfuckers raised by wolves, basically, walking around with guns. I can't imagine anybody who would. Why would, why would you want to subject yourself to something as fucking crazy as that? But they voted for it, and they voted for it uh, soundly. And that's what the Republicans are doing down in Missouri. So if you think twice about going to Missouri, you might remind yourself that any fucking clown can have a gun, open carry, and if they happen to be, you know, good people, why they need a gun while they're walking around, I don't know. But if they happen to be a little bit fucking crazy or a little bit stupid or a little bit Republican or even a little bit trump fuck you don't know who's going to get shot down there and for what reason you're going to get shot. If it's a largely Republican area, <clears throat> I have all the good reasons not to go down there for as high as profile as I have talking shit about Donald Trump. That's the last motherfucking place I want to go with people with guns that are crazy and are trump Who would want to go there? I'm going to wrap things up with the Rational Boomer podcast. I just want to mention one thing. Again, it's a little out of our realm, but uh, this has become pretty significant. We know we had the uh, the um, earthquake in Turkey and part of Syria. And when it first occurred, we heard that there was as many as 3,000 people dead. Well, now the death toll from the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria are near 25,000 people on Saturday as fewer victims were being found alive and German and Austrian rescue teams suspended their work due to security concerns. In Turkey alone, at least 21 1,000 people were killed and 80,000 others were injured by the two strong quakes that jolted the region earlier this week. President Erdogan said, uh, told, told the people in, in one of his speeches, Turkish universities will switch to distance learning for this semester in part of open up space for homeless victims to move into student dormitories. This is an absolute tragedy, what has happened down there. 25,000 people, and I'll guarantee you by the time it's over, it's going to be more, a lot more. And that is absolutely tragic. 
you really can't blame anybody for it because of uh, it being a natural disaster, but it will be interesting to see how these search teams do, how the Turkish search teams do that are under the um, helm of Erdogan, who is a dirtbag in his own right. And Syria, of course, has their fucking problems, too. It's a sad, sad situation. I wish I could offer some suggestion to do something with it. But all they can do is try to recover as many people as possible and then count up the dead later. All right. We're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to just listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Monday will be starting yet another week. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.